0: Hey there, welcome to ATL in 29 of Peachtree Hoops Pod, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Schnard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. We're recording on a Monday evening after uh, the Hawks lost to the Toronto Raptors without Trey Young. And I guess my first question is, uh, Glenn, did you, what did you think of Brandon Goodwin's career high 21 points?
1: You know how I feel about Brandy Goodwin, Kevin, so you know uh, I think if he gets opportunities he can help a team um, you know so i I haven't had a chance to see the game yet, which you know, as the nor have I as the alternate governor of the Brandon Goodwin fan club uh i am ashamed I haven't gotten to that one yet, but i I certainly will and' get the highlights
0: very good. All right, so uh, I don't know where to start here. Since the last time we podcasted, we've got games with the Lakers and with the Raptors, a win and a loss, one with Trey, one without Trey. I'm I'm kind of almost more interested by the Raptors game just because I think it's interesting. You know, what would you do when Trey's not there? But right. uh, uh, since that one's fresh, maybe maybe we should start there. What did you think about the overall situation without Trey tonight?
1: I mean, I, I felt like as I was watching them that they were kind of squeezing every ounce of offense they could out of what they had tonight. Um, and, you know, obviously everyone would want the situation to be um, where the it's not such heavy lifting when you're one primary, you know, guy when your star, star is out. But, I mean, Toronto probably plays the best switch defense in the league. I think they do. Um, they have, you know, with, you know, OG and Anobi and Siakam and Barnes, especially the heavy minutes. I think they're playing this <laughs> like 47 and a half minutes a game, it feels like. Like, <laughs> y- y- you never get away from like this long rangy, athletic guy that's kind of in the way of everything. Terrible matchup for JC because they have so much length that even though the Raptors are switching, JC can't really find an advantageous situation. And then, you know, Herder had a good start, but as – we got into the second and third quarter, they kind of started treating Herter as the proverbial head of the snake. And, you know, he, has, he hasn't run a million reps in his career as the guy who's running and initiating everything they're doing on offense. So, you know, I thought they, I thought they played well and, and gave it a, a really good shot. They We could say they, they made a few mistakes here and there. I, th- I thought it just came down to they really needed to make their shots at the end of the game, and they didn't. You know, uh, otherwise I thought the effort was – uh good i thought the execution was mostly fine on offense my biggest gripe on offense was that it just took them forever to get into stuff and that's kind of how it goes on night straight plays when the second unit's on the floor and he's on the bench it's kind of everything is kind of slow to you know materialize and things like that that's probably something they need to work on um but that's not all that shocking and they still managed to move the ball and work hard enough in their screen game and all that sort of stuff to generate you know, nearly enough points to win that game. So um, it, I thought they did, I, I, you know, I thought that was a B plus, A minus kind of effort and offense to just work, keep working at it, even though everything was so difficult to come by. And as a coach, for example, that's kind of all you can ask is like, keep keep working at it, keep working at it, keep working at it. And that's what I felt like I watched tonight was they just kept trying and, and putting in the effort and just came up a few um, you know, shots shy of winning.
0: Yeah, the one thing that kind of nagged at me was just the third, you know, I guess really not just the third quarter is when it kind of went to heck, but, you know, overall, just that lineup of DeLon Wright, Kevin Herter, Clint Capella, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, just doesn't feel like it has enough offense or ball handling or passing to work. It just, you know – Collins is a wonderful offensive player. You know, Capella certainly does things on offense and so does Hunter when he's out there with Trey, but it just feels like there's just not enough there. Like you mentioned, they're, they're getting into stuff slowly, but you, you just lose all of your leverage for what John Collins could do. I know part of that is, you know, t- Toronto's length, but I just, it just doesn't feel like enough. Like, well, I don't know. Like I can see Nate not wanting to separate Gallo and Bogey. I can see him not wanting to separate Lou and Onyeka, but I was just dying for some early substitution of offense in the first quarter and the third quarter, just jigger the rotation a little bit so that somebody comes in early. Cause you just, you needed one more creator, in my opinion, uh, to, to make that lineup work.
1: Yeah. And I think it also, Kind of comes down to you know nate really believes in attacking mismatches and so that's what those that group is kind of used to doing and when you don't have trey um who's really decisive and you know a fast processor and a mental processor and all that sort of stuff it's all happening slow slow more slowly and then tonight there just weren't really mismatches to attack so if you're going to start kind of doing something besides try to find mismatches to attack the muscle memory is just not going to be there because they don't do that a ton you know they try to you know force you know a smaller guy into jc or if a team's gonna you know switch off of gallo and try to you know defend him with a a wing a two or three or whatever you know get into that stuff and so i just think it's not realistic to kind of you know think that it's just like kind of pressing a button and say if you were going to go away from attacking mismatches and go into more ball movement and you know you know more pace in the half court when that's just not really what they do a lot And we could we could have a conversation about should they be doing more of that and mixing that in or not but you know we, we you and I both know Nate's philosophy is that we're going to go attack mismatches and that's kind of what led to I think some of the lack of uh continuity and pace uh, in the half court tonight was that's that's what you get
0: yeah, and all of that's so much more livable when Trey's out there because you just sure. the ad hoc stuff that he's going to throw in because he's going to pressure a defense in a way that's going to make somebody jump and something opens up and without him you, you don't get that kind of jump.
1: Yeah, and if the switch is a tick late, he sees it he makes the pass and generates a shot at the rim for you know, for someone you know. So I mean he he's you know one of the whatever top five or whatever kind of best you know on ball initiators in the league and any team that would have him would miss him. In a situation like that, um, you know, hopefully, you know, from a positive standpoint, this is a chance for them to kind of go look at what they were able to do, what they weren't able to do tonight when Trey was off the court, and and, and maybe you know, you know, work through kind of um, iterating that plan, uh, you know, one or two times based upon these food feedback loops from tonight, and and maybe do some things a little bit differently. But um, hard to do that on the second night of a back-to-back uh for sure without trey i mean that's about as kind of you know tough as it comes in terms of no no real time for game planning and um didn't know if you're gonna have trey until seemed like it was about 90 minutes before the game before they, they found out if they were gonna have him or not so yeah tough situation you know when you get down to you know into march you know or so you hope that they um are showing you things to make you feel a little better about you know whatever those minutes are gonna be without Trey and, and that the plan has developed and advanced, you know, from where it is now. But they're just past the half point of the season and, you know, tough back to back. Um so I'm not alarmed by what I saw tonight, even though, you know, as as someone kind of rooting for this team that was putting in what I thought was a really good effort and an admirable effort. You know, I was just trying to will a few more shots to go in and you know, will a few more kind of turnovers that Toronto created with their link to, to not happen at such an opportune times. But, you know, they, they're they still a little bit, I think, short on just basic ball handling, too, with some of those lineups, you know, um, and, and such. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I thought the outcome, you know, results aside, I guess, for Hawks fans, I thought the outcome was uh,
0: totally acceptable. Yeah uh, I wanted to go over a couple of specific plays with you because I thought they were both kind of interesting. Uh, there was There was a play late where DeAndre Hunter's on the weak side, he kind of gets the ball out at the three-point line after kind of stumbling, and he ends up getting a like a, a, a mid-range pull-up from like 15 feet, a little bit off balance with OG guarding him uh, with like 11 seconds or so on the shot clock. And it was it was a miss. I thought he'd done a good job picking those mid-rangers all night, but that one was just – OG was too good and was in the way there. And so the the Raptors come down the other way. And, uh, you know, one of the rare times I thought that, that somebody really kind of got an edge on Onyeka – in a one-on-one matchup, Fred VanVleet kind of took him to the paint, kind of had a little bit of a lane on him. But it probably would have been to, like, his left hand, I think, if he really wanted to kind of shield off Yeka. And the Hawks helped from the weak side, the low man. I think it was DeAndre Hunter. Yep. And, you know, the open three-point corner shot was just then right there, and they took it and made it. And, you know, with, with, with Fred VanVleet, Fred, why is that a tongue twister? It's just somebody's name. Fred Van Vliet being what he is. I think it's because I wanted to say being next. Uh, (laughs) Do do you want to help there? Because that just seems like a situation where you wouldn't necessarily want to help. You kind of got a small and a big. You've got a guy who's sort of historically not a great paint shooter down there. And it's going to, you know, he's a good enough passer that it's pretty much going to lead to an automatic corner three point shot, but uh, you know, that you, you got, you, you know, bogey was there kind of guarding one on two with that, you know, with Hunter coming as the help, but uh, I, can you, can you refine it to a, a level based on personnel for a regular season game? Is it, is it had does it just have to be automatic? You know, if, if you see it, you come and it just, I like how refined does it get in terms of uh, knowing the personnel How big of an edge the ball handler in the paint has? Like, uh, what are the varying variables that dictate whether the help comes or not? There.
1: Yeah. Do you mind if I take the offense possession first, and then we kind of flow into the defensive possession?
0: Sure. Yeah. I'm (laughs) more interested in the defensive one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'll be. I'll be quick. But I I thought it was the, the most important possession of the game was what resulted in that 12 foot miss by. Hunter, I know it was exactly twelve feet because I went looking for the play. And I didn't get a, I haven't found a good <laughs> copy of it yet, so I'm frustrated. But I know, oh, I just fuck. Right.
0: Yeah, go ahead. When, when
1: when Kevin was coming across half court, Bogey was on fire at this point, right? And Kevin, you could see Kevin recognized that, and he was pointing and trying to get Bogey to go down into the left corner, deep into the left corner, and then he was trying to send a and Collins at him to run. You know, your typical, what in the league is called either strong or away, depending on the team's terminology, where the shooter, in this case Bogey, lives from the deep in the corner across two screens up to the top of the key. Bogey never got down to the corner. He never, I think, figured out what Kevin was trying to get him to do. Uh, Kongu and JC weren't uh, ever getting kind of connected and kind of lining up there. That's, that never materialized. And I thought it was exactly the right action to get them into. But I think when I was watching that unit, I was like, they're not used to Kevin directing traffic uh, in crunch time, you know? And so it just, it just seemed like, uh, you know, they were exercising repetition that was, you know, brand new for all of them in terms of role and all that sort of stuff. And so the wall ended up, they ended up running, basically bogey and a a congo got into a pick and roll just above the left three-point break and the ball rotated to Hunter. And Hunter, I think, did the best he could. Um, I, I'm guessing he probably had more time than he thought he did with the quality of the shot that he generated. Um, but they were under pressure and didn't have Trey. And Trey handles business, that part of the game, <laughs> when he's on the floor and stuff like that. So then you flow into the other end and Fred Van Vliet, um, who's having a phenomenal season, and it's just such a, a, a wonderful watch, you know. Uh, for me, is how I feel anyway. Just really enjoy watching him, but for him trying to attack a Kongu and a Kongu kind of mostly held up, you know, and, and probably you know to your question didn't need the help, um, you know, in in a vacuum. Kind of what would you like to see happen there? I think in a vacuum, Hunter sees that a Kongu is fine uh, on anvleet and stays put uh, in that weak side corner, but you know what I know about the NBA from watching being, you know, try as many times as I can, sitting right behind the bench here communication all that sort of stuff, talking to people. Yeah. Hunter, Hunter was the low man, which means he's uh, the defender on the weak side baseline. And it's his job to help with the rim, well, the restricted area. Right. If there is any help potentially needed. And then the other defender on that side has to quote zone up the weak side. And that and was cover bogey. Two, that was bogey. Right. Exactly. So, Hunter played exactly two NBA principles on that possession in terms of like, I'm the low man. If there's any possibility help us need to at the rim, it's my job to get there. I'm going to trust Bogey to zone up the weak side. Now, when do we get away from that kind of core principle being the, the plan that, you know, decisions are made on a possession like that? Well, first of all, in the postseason. I think you plan at a more detailed level and kind of cover, hey, we want you to read that play as opposed to automatically come in as a low man. This is, you know, they're playing a second item back to back. There's not really kind of time to refine all the way down to specific Toronto personnel what you're going to do if this guy's attacking that defender, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So I think what Hunter did was totally reasonable. The other thing is, is that another scenario in which a team veers away from that principle is if one of the very best shooters in the league is in that weak set corner. If we think back to like when Corver played for the Hawks, teams would like go away from the principle and say, never, ever, ever, ever leave Corver in the corner, no matter what. I, I don't care if you're low man, we're gonna do something different to generate help at the rim. And the guy in the corner was OG Ananobi, who is a you know a good shooter. You know but he's not like one of those guys that you just never leave and and, right. and so the the situation never in my mind didn't dictate um, something that where I would expect a hunter to make a read that was different from their normal principles they use in the regular season game to game to game. Now if you go into a, a a matchup versus a LeBron or a curry you've got to cultivate different you know kind of principles for that game. That's not what the Raptors present. You know the Raptors are basically offensively going to um, you know um, have you basically playing to your normal principles especially on second back to back so I thought that was fine I, you know a good friend Andrew Kelly I think pointed it out on Twitter and and I think Andrew' is exactly right that um, in a vacuum the right read is to stay to stay put and recognize that has a Congo has a pretty small guard who's not getting past him but regular season second night back to back hunter playing exactly to the principles. I have no criticism of it.
0: That's fair. I mean, I guess the one thing that I would add is just that, you know, if if you were trying to design some sort of principles for the Raptors, like, you know, here's how we're going to guard them. You know, here's five things to keep in mind. It feels like one of the five things is Fred Van Vliet really isn't all that scary in the paint. Not at all. <laughs> Do yeah. everything you can to keep him from shooting from three. But, uh, you know. I think he was what he would probably be like two for ten on twos in this game. Just right, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and, yeah. and,
1: and I think if you know, other exception, if they coming out of a timeout, that's when you probably coach them up on, hey, this time we're not going to help on the in the, the paint, you know, something like that. So the, right. there, there are I think some opportunities even in the regular season game to. You adjust something like that, coming out of a timeout, or you know whatever it is, and such. But um, you know, it, I, I thought what he did was perfectly reasonable, um, and uh, you know, I, w- I would hope that in a postseason or something like that, that you know, there's more specific planning than you're than you're able to generate on the second item back to back, and then smack in the middle of the regular
0: season. So speaking of coming out of timeouts, you tweeted. Uh the play late where John Collins misses a three. So uh, t- tell me what you see in that play. Yeah. So
1: it's funny when I went back to, to watch it again, um, it's funny. I, I pride myself on even watching live being able to pick up everything that's going on. That's not a pat on the back. It's just kind of how I watched the game was how I enjoy watching the game, but I had to go back and watch this play. Like, what were they trying to generate? How did the shot for J.C., Come to be right, and when I watched it, I was like, "How did I not fully just see this this play where you bring your best shooter toward the inbounder in that general area, and then you inbound the ball to typically a four or five in in, in this case, it was Gallo, power forward. I, I don't remember who else was on the I, I you know you he and JC were the four and the five on, on this possession, yeah, and to bring your best shooter in t- all the way across the court to that." Um, four or five and run a basic DHO on that right in that same vicinity where the ball was inbounded from to generate that shot. That has to be across the whole league, the favorite play coaches run with any of three late in the game. It's, I, I mean, I would not be shocked if, if someone had a, had a kind of a statistical analysis. This was like between 30 to 40% of the time. This was, this was the play they run that DHO it's, it's simplified. It's easy um, and all that sort of stuff. Now, what's interesting about that is that the other NBA coaches know that this is a decent chance that this is what's coming is this DHO. So what happened was JC didn't really get the screen. That happens sometimes with JC. He's, he's not the biggest guy. He doesn't have the widest body in the world. Um, you, you still want him to make contact there. The reason he's on the court is that you want an extra shooter if the ball gets moved and such, right? So you want someone who can function as a screener and as a shooter ideally, um, the screen didn't work out for whatever reason in that situation. And so um, Trent was chasing Bogey. And had JC separated Trent from Bogey as Bogey was working towards Gallo, Fred VanVleet was standing there ready to collect Bogey. So uh, VanVleet was going to do everything he could to not let Bogey get to Gallo and get that DHO. Now, if Gallo steps towards Fred – I, I think there's a decent chance they still could have executed that handoff and got the shot that was designed to get. But I, for whatever reason, Gallo gave up and kind of drove in towards the post and ended up kicking it out to JC at the top of the key, who, you know, is a good shooter. Um, but that wasn't their first choice for sure. So I have no doubt that the design was for Bogey working into that DHL with Gallo and it never happened. Maybe Gallo just thought he's never getting to me because Fred's right there. And just had to make a decision, which you know, if you only have a few seconds, it's you know, you got to make a decision and kind of make something work. The shot they generated was fine. Yeah, yeah, you know. So I, I thought Gallo, you know, managed to you know generate a second option that you know was statistically about as much as what you could ask for in that position. I just didn't make the shot.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I agree. I think it's important that, to note that you know, bogey was really the number one option there. I think it's still going to be a little bit of a tricky play for Van Vliet to stay with bogey there because bogey's got kind of a full head of steam and, you know, Gallo in theory could have been there to chip. I think his first dribble was kind of a probing dribble so that if JC, you know, if JC makes contact, then maybe that probing dribble Gallo sticks around a little bit longer to kind of hand it off and make contact with Van Vliet a little bit, but I think once he saw that that the JC screen kind of whiffed, then the second dribble he's he's gone. He's sort of vacated the the right. chance to be able to DHO with Bogey there. But yeah, that was clearly a play for Bogey as you as you indicated. And I think it's important to note that. Uh, what, what else are we missing here? What what are topics of relevance? <laughs> For uh, for the Hawks from these past two games that we need to note, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it's interesting to watch whether Nate closes with Capella or Congo as we go forward. I think it's you know I've talked about how it's a great situation to be able to go in either direction there. I, I thought tonight made perfect sense with the Raptors essentially play small all the time. You know, you know they play Boucher or um, you know Precious at the five for the most part, um, or Kim Birch. You know, Kim Birch is more your traditional center and. If he was playing, that probably get some more run maybe than he did or what have you. But, um, I, you know, one thing I noted on Twitter after the game was I, I felt like when I was watching the Raptors tonight, that what I was watching was what the Hawks would probably look like if they at some point fully commit to a konglu Collins Hunter as their starting front court, right? That switching, that ball pressure, that, you know, that agitation on defense helping, you know, in the middle – trying to cover the weak side. The best shots the Hawks generated tonight was when they were able to get the ball into the middle and kick it to the weak side. And they, they had collapsed that Raptors defense because the Raptors don't really play with rim protectors, you know, for the most part. Um, but um, and it's interesting to watch Nick Nurse coach that after winning a title with, you know, Gasol and Ibaka, you know, covering all the minutes there. I, I enjoy Nick Nurse as a, as a coach. It's always just enjoyable to see that. But I just thought that was a little bit of a kind of an interesting preview to see what the Raptors did. I I think everyone, you know, no matter how you feel about Capella or Kong, we feel like the Hawks are going to kind of have to choose a direction, you know, at some point in the future, in terms of, it's hard to imagine playing for like three more years with both of these guys splitting time or whatever. They're, they're, they're both probably too good for that, you know, to start with, but, um, but if they decide to kind of go smaller, I I thought what we saw from the Raptors tonight was, is kind of what we would see, potentially down, down the line. So that was, that was an interesting way to watch the game tonight for me.
0: Does it change uh, w- when you say that? And I, and I'm nodding the whole time. It's like that the Raptors have like this three power forward offense right. or power forward defense really is and, a point point
1: point. and a small point and guard, a small point, a small
0: point right. guard. Uh, but does, does it change when you have trade defending instead of Fred Van Vliet?
1: It, it, it certainly does. I mean, you know, um, Fred is so strong. You know, for a guy his size, and um, and and Trey's just never going to have that type of profile in my mind. You know, can Trey play stronger as he continues to mature and get older and gets more experience? Sure, but that that part would look that part would look differently, and, and that's where the difference is. I think for me, that Akongu and Collins do offer you protection, where these Raptors lineups don't really offer that, and so they really are relying on really. Uh, good point of attack defense and really like finely executed switches, you know, from positioning and timing standpoint. So because the Raptors don't really have rim protectors, they have to be better than I think the Hawks would be at, at the point of attack and things like that, because the Hawks would in that, could, that configuration have the rim protection that Kongru and, and JC offer. The other thing was that what really kind of enables those lineups for the Raptors is how ridiculously active Scotty Barnes is on the boards. You know, I mean it's just he was just a nonstop nuisance <laughs> as a rebounder. And he's kind of that way all the time. And so it kind of makes you think like, yeah, you know, the, the right now the Hawks struggle to rebound with a congo with the five some. And you know, and Collins is a much better offensive rebounder than a defensive rebounder. You know, um so it, it, it's just kind of interesting to kind of kind of see that and imagine, you know, it, it might this be what we're seeing next season or, you know, two seasons down the road or what have you. And I mean, results aside, the Raptors are a super fun watch this year. So it's, you know, it's, it's a entertaining kind of brand of basketball for me anyway.
0: Yeah. I have an addendum from our last podcast. We, we talked about the, the John Collins things that you hear about, you know, trades with the, the trade deadline coming. Rather soon, ten days or something like that. Um, Crazy. You know, I was listening to a, a, a Zach Lowe podcast and he referred to Mike Conley, who's essentially the point guard of the number one offense in the NBA. Right. He's like Mike. Mike Conley's kind of a luxury, and it's like that's kind of ridiculous to call him a luxury. But like that's it struck me like that. That's what I want to say about John Collins. It's like in this offense, you know, when you have Trey, when you have a Capella. Uh, as your role man you know all of a sudden John Collins becomes this luxury in a very good offense but it just you're in the Eastern Conference you've the teams that you've got to look to in terms of your future and advancing the playoffs you've got to try to get past Giannis or you've got to try to get past Joel Embiid or you've got to try to get past Kevin Durant He's not a luxury when you're playing those guys in that kind of series because you're going to need somebody big to guard them and you're going to need somebody big to help at the rim, and having somebody that can do that and be a proficient sort of all-around offensive player and a floor spacer, you know, that's not a luxury anymore. That's almost like a necessity when you want to be competitive in those types of series. Yeah, you
1: need contingencies, and if you're if you're you know first two centers get in foul trouble you can slide John in there and just eat some minutes, you know, and and be competent and professional in that situation. And even you think back to the highlight plays John made, you know, the the, the dunk on Embiid that turned into ever how many T-shirts are out there now. And then that three he made in that left corner, you know, in clutch. And, you know, how many guys can do those two things? It's just almost exactly the same conversation we had last time. So I don't want to belabor the point too much, But but you're right. When you get into a situation where, your first two guys have two fouls before even the first end of the first quarter. Your options are to slide John to the five or bring a third center off the bench that oftentimes for a third center is going to completely clog your offense up and just, you know, stifle your ball movement and not play, be able to play with the pace and stuff like that. Because by by, by nature, that's what most third centers are, just guys who can help you rebound and, you know, do cover some of the basics. That's where John. I I keep saying I know a lot of people were frustrated with John's statistical result tonight, and I haven't listened to the post game yet. But no doubt, John. won't expect John was frustrated him. with John's
0: score result tonight. Sure. You can see when he missed that shot, you know, hands on yeah. Temple, yeah. like, oh God, like not I, just I, I missed that. it, but I missed it by a lot, like you know,
1: right, yeah, right. He I mean, he he expects that of himself, but sure, his his versatility and it is really what jumps out at you uh in my mind and and people like oh john got this big contract and he can't do anything on this get this this game when trey was out you know so i heard that a lot on twitter tonight
0: we had a question uh for the podcast i was asked you know why is it that it seems like every time john collins scores 30 or more points it comes in a hawks loss and i (laughs) I was like, yeah, I can kind of see that question and I'm too lazy or too forgetful. <laughs> actually, it's more forgetful than the lazy part yeah. because I would have checked. Uh, I don't know if that's actually true, uh, but uh, if yeah, it can was trust, true, can
1: trust the person asking the question, right?
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to have to die. I'm probably going to have to yeah. check this now, but uh, <laughs> uh, let, let's assume that the premise is true here. Is there some theoretical reason that kind of makes sense to you for, for why that would happen? Uh,
1: only in that um, the Hawks often find themselves in high-scoring games where they're not playing good defense, kind of chasing the other team, and they have so much off you know, ability to produce a lot of points on offense that they can try to you know be you know in a one thirty-six to one thirty <laughs> game with a minute and a half left, you know, and and to get to hundred thirty points, your points are going to come from a number from from Trey, a number from JC, or, you know, what have you, so. My guess is if we went back and kind of looked at all of John's 30 point games. And if in fact, a lot of them came in losses, it's going to be games where the Hawks just didn't play well defensively and they have the offensive of talent to still chase to win. Unlike many other teams you know, can do sometimes that situation, it's not a recipe you want to repeatedly use to try to generate 135 points and win 135 to 133 or whatever, you know, but I, but my guess is that that's what we would see, but that's just, Kind of a, a guess at this point, and leaning back on and reflecting on my recollection of a few times we've seen that, but I don't have much more than that do you
0: that 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 sounds right to me I mean it just you know the way that the hawks are kind of uh set up at the moment, you know, it, maybe it tells you something about whether a team sort of got to Trey, like uh, obviously, you know, John and Trey go together and they're, they're right. going to be games where it's, you know, Trey has some ridiculous number of assists, but I think, you know, when John gets to 30 points that maybe you've, you've messed with some of the Hawks typical actions and you've gotten them to do some an, uncharacteristic things and, and taken them out of what they want to do primarily, but I'd have to go back and look to really have a good feel for that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have any thoughts on the, the fourth quarter against the Lakers to end on a positive note? Like, it was such a weird lineup. Like, there was so much offense. They kept the floor very, very spread right? for Inyeka to do some pretty amazing things in the middle. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was, you know, really interesting how they were able to just create so much space in the paint and around the rim and, how, and, and obviously Trey is just – so, so good at that, but the, the Lakers are a veteran defensive team and they rely on communication and help and, 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 such. And sometimes the best way to defeat that is to spread out as much as you can, which is why I think when you see Gallo on the floor, he's on, you know, if we could be really simple and explaining why he's out there spacing, he provides more spacing probably than because of the position he plays and the shooting equity than any other player on the team. And that really opens things up, you know, portray. Um, and then, you know, a was kind of pace, his ability to move from a point of the screen kind of down into the paint. And then I'm just always so amazed at his age and level of experience, how um, connected he is to what Trey's doing or whatever ball handler is doing and making himself available. I don't know if you saw a play tonight where he uh, moved off of a screen in the middle of the floor to the rim and Lou just straight up missed him. I just didn't even see, see that. It was so strange for Lou to, Uh to not see that. It's funny the ball worked back to a con when he got a bucket there, but even as he was moving to the rim and Lou didn't hit him, maybe Lou felt like, you know, he had too big of a defender in front of him, but maybe there was, if I went back and looked, it was Noby or someone. We was like, yeah, I'm not trying this. But even right. like you he, he saw a congu was like, I don't know, why, you're, why don't I have the ball? Why is the ball coming to me? I'm <laughs> wide open to the paint here, right? And you know, so yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting to see Nate start with Clint and JC getting some time for Gallo and JC in the first quarter, pulling Clint off, setting up basically normally to put a congu in at the start of the uh, second quarter and have some time with uh, Gallo there and. And by the end of the game, he can really go in one of, like, you know, four or different directions kind of, you know, combinations there. But, yeah, I guess the Lakers, they just spread them out, and, and Trey was just masterful uh, generating shots. Uh, there's, I mean, from tonight, the Lakers game, and, and really the last few games, Logie's shot making on the second unit and at the end of games right now is helping them so much right now. And um, he's he's giving so much more on defense than, than he was. He still struggles uh, on the ball to contain a, a, a ball handler, but his team defense and his effort and the, the strength you know, that, that he tries to kind of put into whatever situation. I mean, you know, we talk about you know Trey. Talk about Conk Con was getting a lot of attention, deservedly so. But Bogey is giving them so much right now, and I thought he was. You know, secondary to trade. Always like pounding kind of... on his
0: mic. You must feel strongly about this. You're like. <laughs>
1: that's actually just the <laughs> the, the laptop my mic is sitting on. I got like oh, 17 okay. laptops on my desk here. So, um but, but I just felt like Bogie's giving them so much right now that's making a difference. And, it, and I think we talked about this a little bit last time recorded, but it reminds you a little bit about of of what we saw in the playoffs where he was just giving them so much and was really in so many of those wins against the Sixers specifically where he was, you know, the difference he he or Herter was the difference, but Herter kind of defensively in a lot of cases, and he had that one game offensively, but Bogey like, in those games where they were like down 12, 10, like Boogie was just making shots and like keeping them from you know falling to 20, 22 below you know, out or you know behind or what have you. So, I mean, this is a fun team to watch again. And you know, with a congo's emergence that we're watching happen in real time, Boogie coming back and becoming more of what he was last year, you know, Trey being just a, a, a thrill to watch all the time you know, like a play finisher or like, and we can go on and on and on. This team is fun, And I, you know, I hope for another deep run so we can see them play as, as many games as we can this year. Long answer your question about the Lakers game.
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of sort of we get there. Uh, if I'm not derelict in my duty, I'm going to try to append some Kevin Herter audio to the end of this. And this to place it correctly, this would be uh pre- Lakers game, a couple days old, but we haven't done a podcast since then. So, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt. It has nothing to do with the last two games and everything to do with what happened before that. And Glenn, I, uh, thank you for taking the time to do this late uh, on a Monday night, uh, after a disappointing result, but I uh, still, you know, interesting game to, to track and follow the Raptors are a weird team and the Hawks are, are playing some good basketball. So it's a, a, a nice clash of styles. And, uh, you know, compelling basketball.
1: I thought it was a fun game to watch. You know, even yeah. if a lot of people watching the Hawks side really wanted the Hawks to there it's uh, you know I, I'm I'm just as encouraged about the team as I was before the game, even though they had the loss because they played hard, and they played together, and and you know all the that those kind of um, indicators were all there. So I still think they're in good, in good shape. Um, and I guess I guess you and I are gonna have to stay ready to. Deploy an emergency pod uh, at moments' notice the next 10 days in case the trade does happen. Right. We're going to, we're going to have to, you and I have to stay connected and you and I are going to have to stay communicating and, and all that sort of stuff down here at the deadline coming up. Right.
0: Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. I don't think, <laughs> I, I'm not trying to disrespect you or say that I don't want to communicate with you. I just, I, I it doesn't seem like the massive blockbuster is coming, but I don't know. Oh, Maybe I'll be way, wrong. But
1: I was, I was trying to, trying to uh in in my novice manner you know throw a tease out there for something that you threw water on which but even though i agree with you it's it seeming it's feeling unlikely at the moment but you never know
0: so be i'm a, gonna stay ready pro. kevin i'll yeah, be, be ready pro. stay ready you're <laughs> a professional there you go have a good night
1: thanks kevin you too
0: Two. I just wanted to ask you, there was like a couple weeks, a two-week span, three-week span, where it seemed like two or three times a game you were finishing with your left hand. What was that?
1: You know, honestly, that was, you know, I was out in quarantine playing a lot of one-on-one. It was, uh, you know, I think, you know, being able to get to my spots and get downhill. And, you know, at the time, we had a lot of guys out, so we were running a little bit different stuff, and it was stuff to, to get me to the center of the floor and be able to make plays. And, um, yeah, there was, there was a couple games I was I felt like I was getting to the rack a lot more than it was now.
0: What's the key for you in terms of defense? Because like last night it looked like you had it turned up to 11 in terms of uh, defensive intensity. Just that connection. Um, obviously my individual effort, but obviously trusting
1: my health defense and the people that are around me. And um, I think we have a good thing going on. Obviously we, we've had guys who've been able to stay healthy over the past couple of weeks. And With that first unit, you know, we're starting to figure out your know, rotations and our effort level and where guys are supposed to be. And, I think that helps me out, you know, individually and knowing how aggressive I can be and knowing where my help is behind me and um
0: really just kind of across the board I think everyone's efforts can a lot better. Thank you. Yep. Cool.